Hey folks, Carolyn here to tell you just a little bit about the Games and Online Harassment Hotline. It's a free text message-based confidential emotional support hotline that was created specifically for the gaming community. So whether you're a player, a developer, a streamer, a competitor, any part of the gaming community, the hotline is here for you, ready to provide emotional support or help finding the referrals and resources that you may need. Visit gameshotline.org for more information. The way that this film, without putting things in bold flashing light, but the way that this film indicts everything about capitalism Mm -hmm. is absolutely outstanding. When you have Jacob unable to lift his arms and has to ask Monica to help him undress, the toll that it takes on your body to be among the working classes. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Carolyn Pettit, filling in for Anita Sarkeesian this week. She is currently having some sort of Snake Plissken-like escape from L.A. style (laughs) adventure in the wastelands of L.A. I like to imagine she's riding a giant wave right about now. I want to circle back to this, Carol. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm joined by a woman who often looks at chicken butts just for the sheer pleasure of it. Ebony Adams. Hey, Ebony. The money is also good. I should say that, yeah, I do it because I love it, but Mm -hmm. also the money is fantastic. Um, P.S. I did actually look up chicken sexing um, after watching this movie. Oh, I, yeah, we'll talk about that because it's, you know, it's the sort of thing you might think, oh, that's just super easy, right? But it's not at all. Like, um, you, you, it takes skill and intuition and, you know, practice. As our little uh, chicken sexing conversation might indicate, this week we are going to be talking about writer-director Lee Isaac Chung's lovely new film, Minari. But before we get to that, we have a special guest joining us this week. Um, our guest is uh, the film critic Walter Chow. He is critic for the website filmfreakcentral.net. Um, I have to say, I have been uh, eagerly scheming in my head and hoping <laughs> to somehow make this happen for for some time. So I personally could not be more thrilled to have Walter joining us on the show this week um, at filmfreakcentral.net. He has not only established a massive body of work over the past 20 plus years, but in my view, has also established himself as one of our most important and engaging critical voices on film. Like all the best critics, in my opinion, Walter has his own distinctive ethic as a critic, and he writes unapologetically and beautifully uh, from a viewpoint that is both deeply informed by his rich knowledge and love for cinema, as well as his personal convictions about what it means to be a person in this world and how film can illuminate our lives. This means that even when I don't completely agree with Walter about a film, I'm always better for having read his reaction to it as it invariably gives me more to think about and helps deepen my own appreciation for the art form of cinema. Walter, hello. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Welcome. What an amazing introduction. I'm really uh, touched by that. And and I I was sort of uh, telling Ebony and Carol before we we started that I've been asked to do talk about this movie before with with others but I've turned every invitation down until this one just for the opportunity to be able to talk with you so wow. were you lying um, at wake at night being like god if that feminist frequency radio invite doesn't come in I'm gonna have wasted 
all my I'm, opportunities to talk about this movie. Uh, like, yeah, God, I, when are, when are they going to reach out? I, I would have been a little bit relieved, maybe, not to talk about it. It's a personal <laughs> feeling. Sure. Film for me. It's wrenching, almost. But, I, uh, yeah. You know, but for I, the right cause, of course. Yeah. Before we get into, into Minari, I want to talk a little bit about... Uh, another thing that, that you're doing in, you know, uh, so you're based in, in Denver, right? I am. Um, you live in the beautiful city of Denver, Colorado. So one of the best experiences, the most humanizing experiences I've had in recent weeks in the midst of this isolating, uh, you know, kind of in some ways dehumanizing experience of, of quarantine that that I'm going through and that many of us are, are going through right now was that a few weeks ago, I... Um, watched the you know the wonderful uh Ingmar Bergman film The Seventh Seal which has so much to say about um our fleeting lives on this planet and what can make them meaningful and 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 valuable and then the next day I got to sit in on a conversation between you and the wonderful Natasha Leone um all about uh, The Seventh Seal and that's actually part of of an ongoing series that you're doing in conjunction with the Denver uh, Public Library, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that series and, and some of the, you know, some of the amazing people you've, you've had join you for the, for those conversations? Yeah. Isn't she amazing? Natasha oh, Leon? Mm-hmm. She was extraordinary and she's such yeah. a hero of mine, such a survivor of taking yes. so much strength from her and her frankness and her willingness to just sort of lay it all out there again mm. for us. Um, you know, with the context of, of the Seventh Seal, and it's funny because I reached out to her and I asked her if she wanted to come do this with me. And you know, we're thinking about a movie to do. I was like, "You want to do this Bergman film, the Seventh Seal? I know you love it." And she's like, "Yeah, I'll do it. I'm I'm horny for Bergman." She says. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so like, uh, yeah. yes, yes, that, that yeah. that's exactly what I want to do. Um, yeah, this series started at the beginning of this pandemic when the Denver Library was looking for ways to expand their at home programming, and so. Um, I, I have a friend who works there uh, as part of their, their, their programming team. He's since retired, Chris uh, Laffelmacher, Nate Georgie now. Um, he uh, asked me to come host it. I, I had done some things for the library in the past, hosting uh, screenings, guided discussions, things like that. And so I was like, yeah, man, sure. You know, for you, I'll do it again. <laughs> uh, there, there are just a few people in the world that I'll, do, I'll, I'll, I'll come out of my shell for. And so yeah. um, we started that in April of, of last year and, and we've done it, you know, almost every week. We've taken weeks here and there oh. off uh, with, it started out just with like 30 people in May, just talking about, uh, movies from the canopy screaming site and then i i'm very woefully tired of the sound of my own voice and i know exactly what i'm <laughs> going to say all the time it's 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 exhausting so i started asking uh people to come join me to do it and i've been very lucky to have guests like Guillermo del toro and ryan johnson and peter ramsey natasha leone um upcoming in april we have uh patton oswald next uh this saturday we have i don't know when this is going to air but this saturday we <laughs> we have lee wannell the director of uh, Invisible Man, he's coming to do uh, the John, John Carpenter's the the thing. So your your oh. call your call out of Snake Plissken, right on oh. point. There. <laughs> yes, um, but but yeah, he's he's coming to do that. And then Barbara Crampton the week after is coming to do whatever happened to Baby Jane. Um, oh my God! I know, it's, I yeah. know. And then in April it's uh, Pat, uh, Pat, uh, Patton Oswalt for the first mm. week. So we, we we have a few great guests you know yeah. lined up that I can't really talk about yet. We haven't sure. decided what movies to do and stuff, but yeah. uh, it's all for the library. It's all free. It's all digital. Uh, wh- 
a couple weeks after we do it, you know, they 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 will edit it and clean it up a little bit and then upload it to their non-monetized YouTube channel, the Denver Public Library. So there are quite a few up there already. Uh, Edgar Wright talking about uh, Blood and Black Lace and all those things. And if you do what I do with those and then you kind of put your ha- hand up whenever I appear and then mute it down, it's really a good experience. you got to turn it back <laughs> up. Oh. Hey, I can't listen to my own voice. I'm, I apologize to all I, of your listeners today. No, I mean, I, I'm the same way with my own. You know, I, I have the exact same aversion, but it really is a treat. Uh, you know, and I encourage all the film lovers who listen to FFR to really to give that, you know, again, registration is free. You know, it is, I think, sometimes limited, but it's free. So just... And, 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 you know, if you miss one, you can always catch it after the fact on, a few weeks later on the YouTube channel. But they're really insightful and lively and wonderful conversations about about films with fan, fan, fantastic and phenomenal people. So so do check that out. All right. Well, let's talk about Minari. Um, so inspired by writer director Lee Isaac Chung's own childhood on a farm in Arkansas, Minari tells the story of the Yi family. Jacob Yi, played by Stephen Yun, in what I think is yet another remarkable performance. He, he absolutely really came onto the scene for me in, in Burning um, as somebody who's not was not a watcher of The Walking Dead. That for, you know, it was like that for me was like my Stephen Yun sort of revelation mm-hmm. um, was Burning. But in this film, um, as Jacob Yee, he pursues his own version of the American dream as he pours all of his energy into creating a farm that can grow and sell Korean vegetables to markets in nearby cities. Jacob's ambition in pursuit of what may be a failed enterprise puts considerable strain on his marriage, and his wife Monica yearns for him to focus on other priorities. The film also acknowledges the full and complex humanity of the family's two children, older daughter Anne and nine-year-old son David. When Monica's mother comes to stay with the family, she's nothing like the quote-unquote real grandmothers David has seen on TV with her prickly demeanor, her love of card games, and use of trash talk. Minari is a film of quiet observation, but one in which deep currents of emotion are plainly visible. There are many films about American families, but very few of them feel as insightful and true as this one. I guess where I want to start with this film is... um, like I do want to, I do want to get around to talking about how whiteness is portrayed and how whiteness functions in this film because I think it's absolutely fascinating and as true and spot on, uh, you know, as anything else about this film. But what I think one thing that I didn't expect, to be honest, going into this film, but was really wonderful for me, is I sort of thought, well, this is going to be this Korean family is going to face like. Um, like the big obstacle is going to be external racism, overt, like overt, hostile racism of the kind we so often see in films, you know, about uh, like uh, black people or or, you know, people of color in the U.S. And like and so we as white people speaking, you know, will still be present as like a really um, uh, uh, active, like antagonist in the film. But um and and it's not that way at all. Like the real tension, the the dramatic obstacles come from like within the family itself. Primarily, they come from uh, from like you know Jacob's um, ambition, and and I guess I I wonder if like I feel like there's a way in which we as like white people, not all individual white people, but whiteness is like a construct or a collective. 
are sort of more comfortable with narratives in which we remain present and active, like in some real overt way, even if only as like the racist antagonistic aggressors, because then we still have like a meaningful presence and role in the dramatic force of the film. And so Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, maybe if this, maybe part of what, you know, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association or whatever, like kind of objected to about this film or made them only make it eligible for nomination as a foreign language film, but not just not as like dramatic best picture was the way that it focuses so primarily, you know, on the on the family and that, you know, whiteness is is again, it's important. It has a role to play, but it's it's very peripheral in a lot of ways to like to the core dramatic like arc, I think, of of what happens within the Yi family. And so this film really is primarily and fully concerned with the humanity of of the Yi family exclusively. And I think that's really remarkable. Ebony? That's oh yeah. I, I, <laughs> that was just so good. I needed to take a second to to take it in. Um you're absolutely correct there, Carol. I had the I had the same reaction, which meant that when we do have those, you know, few moments in which race or ethnicity, you know, is brought to the forefront, it's even more lacerating because we've been lulled into a place in which, you know, we we would be forgiven for assuming it's it's not going to happen, that they are safe from it. They are safely away from like, you know, these centers of whiteness or the machinery of white supremacy. They're going to be, you know, on their little like 50 acres without a mule, um, you know, they will be away from this. And then we have that scene in the church fellowship hall with the two kids and they each have an interaction with another young child. And it is so brutal to watch the ways in which they try and understand what they're being asked in the case of David, why is your face so flat? Or in the case of Anne, you know, um, will you tell me when I, you know, hit on some Korean and she makes these this girl talking or just, you know, just the stereotypical, incredibly racist, you know, um, sounds, you know, and you're like, this is, this is worse because I was no longer expecting this. And I should have remembered, I should have remembered that this is always already present in the lives of people of color. Um, and, you know, just the, the struggle for these young kids to like understand what's being asked of them, but also the complete lack of guile they have to not impute maliciousness to the asker, right? And so to actually become friends with or friendly with the people who are asking these questions, oh my God. I, I just, I wanted to be like, please don't become some friends with these little assholes. And yet <laughs> that is, you know, perhaps my grown up cynicism, you know, not recognizing that these young kids have internalized these, you know, bullshit ideas, but are not yet to blame for parroting them back. Mm. But yeah, I was ready to drop kick a kid. Yeah. You, you know, I, I, I think you touched on something really fascinating for me about M- M- Minari and, and, and the presence of whiteness, uh, you know, to use Carol's term in the film is that, you know, even in their home, they're, they're, they're drinking Mountain Dew because they think that it's healthy, you know, mm. and, 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 and that there, there, there's this idea that David doesn't like his grandmother because he's not like, she's not like the grand, grandmothers that he sees on television that he has now been impl- imprinted with, you know, in this culture. If you want to assimilate, if you want to, belong to this culture. It's a really personal story for me. I was born in Colorado in Golden. I was raised in a really 
Norman Rockwilly sort of upbringing situation in Danton Golden. Lots of fun stories, I can tell you. It was really great. I, I earned pennies for catching flies, uh, you know, penny ahead. And then I would re- re- release them in the rival of the uh, barbershop <laughs> owners down the street. You know, it was, uh, and and uh. the barber was that was paying me to do this was the mayor at, at the time. Uh, um, and, and it was like a really liter- a small town. I would take all my earnings and go to the five and dime. It was called that. And I'd buy silly putty and comic books. That was my upbringing, but I didn't speak English. Holy shit. You know, I didn't speak English until I was uh, six or seven. And because my mm-hmm. parents didn't, didn't want to teach me English because I would, I would learn it with an accent. Um, but so that, that mm. gave me a bad stutter. Uh, <laughs> and so ironically, I couldn't make friends anyway, but the, 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 uh, you know, why is your face so flat? Why, you know, stop me when mm. I say something in Chinese. I've had those conversations. That, that, that was a common mm. thing. And, and, you know, when we talk about people working things out and their kids and everything, it's like, honestly, a lot of adults, most adults in the United States have not worked out their racism either. And, oh, and, 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 and it's like, <laughs> yeah, right. I don't have to tell you that, but it's like the, the, the desire immediately to um, put a malicious intent behind some racism, I think mm. is, is, is part of why. Um, I've been so depressed, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. for the last uh, 10 years or so longer, you know? Um, but yeah, there, there, there is room, I think for us to have, and we should have this sort of more nuanced conversation if we ever get to a place where we're not actually worried about getting murdered as we're walking to the grocery store. Um, th- th- there should be room to talk about this thing where, y- you know, m- my, my father-in-law passed away a couple years ago and he, he was like literally the kindest person I've ever met. Kindest person, white as the day is long, you know, very white. And so some of his attitudes, I think were, you know, we would say quite obviously racist, but extraordinarily kind and generous and not examined Mm -hmm. and not examined. And and it's, yes, we should put people's feet to the fire and say, you must examine your racism. You must examine the systemic racism and misogyny uh, uh, and intolerance of, of white American culture in which we are all steeped and guilty of. We're all racist. We grew up in this culture. You know, we are Mm -hmm. racist that we, Unavoidably, um, and yet, are we able to separate the nuance of intent? Uh, you know, I'm not sure that white people have earned that yet, but right. the, you know, Minari does wrestle with it to say, you know, that little kid that was looking at him weird during you know church and saw grandma stealing money from the you know do- donation bin and you know all that. Um, he turns out to be a friend. It's like, you know what? When I was growing up, I had friends, I'm sure, that were like that. And I, I played along. I, 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 I did the short round voice when they asked me to. I uh, did, did the long duck dong when they asked me to. I, I made a joke out of my own race because I was ashamed of it because of the way that uh, American culture portrays uh, uh, Asianness. And so I, you know, I, I, I wanted to be on the side of the winner. I wanted to assimilate, mm. right? I, I, I've yeah. never dated an Asian woman. I've never, you know... I, I used to try to walk apart from my family when we we're out walking together. When I went to college, I didn't join any, you know, Pacific groups, uh, even though I was right. recruited to them, or you know, join the Asian fraternities, although I was recruited, because I wanted to separate my divorce myself as much as possible. I'm an American. Don't 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 mm-hmm. you get it? I'm white. I'm as white as you are. But at a certain point, you do run up against this idea that you know, because I look the way I look, I will never actually be accepted as white ever, mm-hmm. ever. So at some point I got to stop hating who I am, um, and and that's sort of been the 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 later journey um, that that I, yeah. th- that I think we all go on at some point. And Minari is lacerating in terms mm-hmm. of of that because you know I was not nice to my grandmother. I was not 
I, I was really intolerant of her. I was intolerant of their weaknesses. I was intolerant of all this, you know, all, all these cultural signifiers and the way that they talked. I didn't want to speak Mandarin in public. I was mad at my parents for doing that. I was mad at them for having me here. I was mad, uh, uh, you know, and uh, lo- looking back, I, I, I sort of feel now all the pain that I caused them and all the separations that I forced and the pain of that, the, the real harm that I've done to my family um, because of this culture. And because yeah, of when when David says, you know, when he runs into his sister's room and doesn't want to sleep in his room with his grandmother and says she smells like Korea, um, it is in its way even more hurtful um, to watch, to witness almost than when he, you know, passes her a bowl of his urine to drink. You know, <laughs> he resists so much you know, the, the, what she represents, you know, which is, um, this like visible and resistant difference. And we, we don't see him, you know, like actively trying to, you know, um, talk differently than his parents or, you know, um, wear different things, you know, we don't see him trying to don, um, you know, or cloak himself in whiteness. He's still perhaps too young, um, to do that in ways in which we recognize, but he does recognize, you know, the difference that his grandmother represents and the fact that she celebrates it and it has, you know, is is not trying to be anything other than what she is. Um, and you can see how confusing that that is for him and the way he has to struggle to sort of, you know, figure out like where she fits in the family and what that means his family is, you know, if there is a place for her in it. That's another place I think that the, the 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 presence of whiteness inserts itself in the family dynamic is because she says at one point, you know, your parents never used to fight like this, right? Oh, uh, uh, mm. I'm back in Korea. You know, there are all these concerns and everything, and all these pressures that are out there. And you know, when they be, be befriend the Will Patton character, even though he, he's you know a, a little bit loony and he's been being made fun of in town, I remember growing up around people that I thought were a little bit weird and a little bit on the outside, and I never never understood why my parents befriended them. I do now, <laughs> you know, watching Minari, that these are, you know, we are all an outcast family now. We we are all on the outside. And that it's only these people who understand our our, our, our experience um, in, in, in any meaningful way. The, the dominant culture rejects us for one reason or another. And so we, you know, find brother and sisterhood in that. And I think that's... That 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 that's really compelling to me. You know, I I, I talked with uh, a long time ago with, with with Melvin Van Peebles about why he thought that um, African American culture bonded so completely with Asian American culture, especially the kung fu movies and stuff um, around that period of time. And he said kind of a lot of the same thing, and really molded my thinking around it to say, look, you know, these are all stories of people that are not welcome, that are looked down upon in some way, that band together and, and fight back. And, and 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 that's the story. And it's taken me, man. I'm I'm really really old. I would I'll, I'll bet you that I'm older than the two of you combined. It's taken me all of my life. <laughs> it's taken me all of my life to get to this place where I'm like I'm ready to fight. Uh, you know, because being raised Asian, you, you you can you can skate. You, you can skate under the model minority. You can be quiet. Mm. You can you know do all this stuff. You, you, we 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 we're we're more pitied than hated for for the most part. Um, mm. But that's changing because we're getting more visible, and uh, and I used to be afraid of that, and I guess I'm not afraid anymore. I guess I'm just angry now. 
I dig it. I you bring up Will Patton, and I'm not going to spend um, undue time <laughs> talking about the one white dude in this movie, but Will <laughs> Patton is so great, y'all. <laughs> like yeah. every performance in this film could not have been better. I mean, I, Monica. There are scenes with Monica that will stop your breath. The way that she conveys emotion with just the tiniest movement of her hand um, or the wetness of her eyes holding back tears, just absolutely amazing. I read um, an article in which Stephen Yeun is um, talking about how he was more nervous to portray Jacob in this movie than he was with any of his other roles. And it was partly because he had to like navigate how to construct a performance that was not stereotypical and yet was legible as Asian dad, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just this really fascinating insight into his creative process and the way he's like, you know, I I wanted to do something that was, whose contours were recognizable and authentic for whatever, you know, value of authentic um, you want to use here, but that nevertheless, you know, did not like conveniently just slot itself into um, like stereotypes, you know, that could be deployed against the very community that we're trying to uplift and celebrate here. He just, he's such a thoughtful actor um, and there's not a wasted expression or movement throughout this movie, which is also wonderful because, you know, I think most of the people in the film, other than, you know, Steven Yeun, um, Monica, Sunja, Grandma, like uh, there were a lot of non-actors in this film. Yeah, I mean, I think Alan S. Kim is, you know, the young actor who plays David is so crucial to the success of this film. Critics' that, Choice uh, winner, uh, uh, Alan yeah. Kim. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, I mean, obviously, child performances are, are really hit or miss. But, but I mean, David um, David as has that, like that kid like physicality where like exasperation mm-hmm. about something like exasperation <laughs> about grandma or whatever, just like fills his whole body sometimes where he's just like, ah, and it's so like everything else in this film, it just rings. It just rings so true. I mean, such that, yeah, like we, we, it doesn't, it, none of it is, you know, stereotypical at all, but it's all very recognizably like, like real. And, mm-hmm. And, and and true and honest. Um, and I think um, I also love, so I read a piece in The Guardian where um, they, kind of an interview with, with Lee Isaac Chung and um, he, in some of his earlier films, Lucky Life and Abigail Harm, which I haven't seen, um, he says where those films were made under the influence of, um, as he puts it, like more minimal filmmakers like Tarkovsky and Kiarostami. And I, you know, and he says this film is more, you know, um, uh, is a shift away from that. And he's like, I'm watching Billy. I love Billy Wilder these days. But I still did feel personally the influence of a, of a kind of minimalist approach here in that the in that I felt felt like the camera really just allows us to observe um, these moments taking place in a way that. Um, that really emphasizes the environment for one, be it the the sun, you know, the the golden rays of the sun and the the green grass, you know, the environment or the interior of their 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 modest home. Um, and I don't know, I, I all these things kind of contribute to give the film a very just grounded um, quality that for me it, uh, made it ring all the more. 
through somehow. Like I really felt like, oh, I'm it's almost like I'm just sort of watching this, watching these lives play out in front of me in a really believable way. Yeah, it's really inobtrusive and 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 lovely. You know, I think he gives people time. He he lets his cast breathe, uh, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, we we have these interactions that that are allowed to have a beginning and a middle and an ending, uh, without like editing to 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 force emotion or or overscoring to force a feeling, uh, or, or to tell the story. You know, I, I don't like expository editing. I don't like expository scoring. I really like. If you trust the actors, let it go. If you trust the writing, let it go. And and mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I'm 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 with you. I think it stays out of the way because the yeah. the, the story is quintessentially American. And, and I think you know you you mentioned the 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 the, the Hollywood um, foreign press and all of that. And honestly, I've been doing this for twenty some years. I've never met anybody who's actually written for that. Um, for, for the Hollywood yeah. Foreign Press, you know, I think I, I I might have interacted with one at a junket once, and they're all like these fiftieth, you know, fiftyish Finnish women in pantsuits. <laughs> I'm just Walter well, coming in hot. You know, they, just, they don't yeah. write for the Guardian. You know, they don't write for the London Times. They write for like penny savers. They, these yeah. equivalent things that you pick up, and and it started like the Oscar started as a way to get people to come to your party. So it's like we'll give you an award if you show up, Brad Pitt. And Angelina Jolie, and they're like, sure, we like awards and we like to drink, so here we come. And there's that's the the root of it. But you know, this idea, and I think a lot of people misunderstand when they say, okay, well, look, I mean, it is a foreign language film; it's mostly in foreign language. It's like, well, there's an othering that's happening that 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 should you know, why is the Hollywood foreign press using English as the the default, right. and everything right. else is foreign? Why is that? You know, and and again, it's just well because they're they're just sort of patsies. They're 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 handmaidens to the uh, to 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 Hollywood, and and it's it, it's grotesque and peculiar. It's also why I don't watch award shows, and I haven't luckily for years. I don't have to cover it, and so I don't watch it. But you know, it's 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 the reason why we can have movies like Green Book winning Best Picture when mm-hmm. you know you know they're they're Spike Lee just sitting there, or or you can have Ron Howard winning an Oscar while. Robert Altman and David Lynch are, are in the are in the audience. Is what we're even thinking. And and when we look at like the major festivals in the United States too, we have the same sort of you know glad handing. I, you know the last Telluride that that, that they had, they, they they had Charlie Kaufman there as a guest. And instead of giving him an award for career achievement, they gave it to Rooney Mara. Telluride. Wow. You know, supposedly the uh, you know the qu- the quintess and you know whatever Rooney Mara. That's fine. That's fine. She eats pie real good. Whatever. But. You have Charlie Kaufman sitting right there. More than that, you, 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 you know, you've had all of these unbelievable artists from around the world, and they don't even get any kind of, kind of airtime any here. And so, I don't have any solutions. I just have a lot of complaining. Um, but it, it's like there's, yeah, it, it, it's troubling and it's painful, you know, as an an Asian American to continually be put sort of in the corner, you know, like like poor Kelly Marie Tran in the last Star Wars movie, uh. where she's like she's home doing homework, and you know what. The number of times that I couldn't go play with my friends because I was home doing homework, I can't tell you how particularly painful that is. You know, mm. where, where's Rose? Well, she she's doing research. I'm like, yeah, fucking, yeah, it's the <laughs> Asians, right? I mean, we 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 did our homework, and we did our homework well enough to know what you're saying when you say stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And so you know, anyway. Yeah. J.J. Abrams can go fuck himself. So <laughs> that's and 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 the the thing that you were saying, Ebony, about um uh, uh, about 
or 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 Carol, I think you both touched on it. Is this idea of not portraying a stereotypical Asian dad? And you know, Sia with her movie Music. I don't know. Have you guys seen that? Have you seen Music? I, no, hell no. I, mean, <laughs> I read your review of it, Pirate which was fantastic. Oh, really? Watch it for free because don't give her any more money. But oh, I would. Right. I mean, you know, I'm what's sure fascinating about that is you know, in addition to all of the real harm that she does the autistic community and and overall she does that the disabled community in addition to that you know peculiar white magical thinking that that's happening with the super rich who's like i care about them so i'm gonna i'm gonna fix it by making Mm -hmm. 10 music videos here um that that they uh there there's a there's an asian dad there's a chinese dad in that movie who is super abusive um who actually ends up murdering his son who is oh who is I think Latino? It's not clear, mm-hmm. but non-conforming, and mm-hmm. he wants his son, the the Asian dad, mean Asian dad, runs a dry. He's a dry cleaner, by the way. Wants the oh son to be a boxer, and is really disappointed that the son doesn't want to fight and wants to dance instead. And I'm like, first of all, don't do that, Sia. Second of all, yeah. <laughs> um, uh. uh Speaking as an Asian, as a person who had an Asian dad, I'm not an Asian dad in return. I hope not. My my kids will tell me later that I am. But that <laughs> my my Asian dad would have been like, "You will grow up to be a dry cleaner after you go to college, or mm. you know, you you, you will grow, you, you will <laughs> go to college and get your PhD. In the meantime, you're going to spend all the rest of your time being a dry cleaner. That's the Asian dad experience. All right, it is not yeah. the sort of yelling, screaming. My boy's going to be a boxer. What are you even talking about? What are you even talking about? <laughs> and so it, it's like to see a movie like Minari is for me, it was like, uh, where are my, where are my royalties, man? Because this is so painfully true. This is so painfully close to my experience. You know, my, 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 my dad came here on academic scholarships. So did my mom, my, my, my dad, you know, was going for, 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 for geochemical engineering Ended up as a, you know, he, he owned a silversmithing joint. He, he sold fossils and T-shirts to tourists, and he fixed their jewelry. That's what he did, and and that's mm. what I did since I was four years old. I was bringing people up on, on an old cash register. That's, that was my whole life, you know, until college. And and it's like, I'm telling you right now that, that Minari get, nailed it. They nailed yeah. it. The sort of like... We spent all of our money to move here. We we gave up everything to come here, um, and we are gambling everything for this business. And we're hoping that we can sell some of these things, um, and we can find a community here. And we hope that our kids don't grow up to resent us, and they still speak some of the language. And we hope that you know, it's so much hope and so much courage uh, in all of these decisions in this film. And it kind of it breaks my heart. And I'm not sure that anybody other than an Asian American can tell the story in this way. And it was um, remarkable to watch. You wrote a really, really moving um, review and sort of personal reflection on Minari, which I know um, Carol um, is going to make sure that we put in the yeah, the yeah. show notes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just was really, I, I, just, I found it very moving um, the the way that you said this this film just captures so accurately um, everything you know <laughs> about you know sort of like immigrant families about like this, the personal striving versus what it does to a family, um, the way that like gender gets mixed up in it, the ways in which, you know, kids have this like really fractured understanding of who they are and who their parents want them to be, you know, successful in this white American culture while still retaining 
you know, all of the elements of the home culture. Um, and so I am encourage people um, to to read your writing on Lenore because it was absolutely um, fantastic. And as I said, so moving. Carol, this movie, yeah. quintessential Carol movie. Yeah. Oh, quintessential right. Carol movie, uh-huh. which means, you know, for a while I was wondering, because you know I don't process human emotion well. And I was like, this film is going to break my fucking heart. Precisely because it doesn't do, you know, <laughs> like the roller coaster right. of like pacing and, you know, f- um, like manufactured emotion that so many films give us. And I'm like, you can't give me time to be in my own head because it's not a safe place to be. Um, This film, I was so ready for something horrible to happen. And although there are, you know, occasional moments where things don't go wrong when the water starts, stops um, running from the well and Jacob has to, you know, run a, a hose from the family pipe um, even before the 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 fire at the end. Oh, we should say this is spoiler alert. It's, yeah, every yeah, every it's, it's, it's not like a, a twist, cast. right? Exactly, exactly. You know, but it, because it plays out at the pace of regular life, I yeah. almost was more anxious because I was so afraid and waiting yeah. for the other shoe to drop. I seriously thought it was going to be like a Jean de Florette situation. Did you ever see Jean de Florette? I did not, but I know exactly what you mean in that sense. That, like, I, we're so trained by the 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 standard, you know, like react whatever movie formula to expect, you know, cr- crisis to expect that when when things are too, you know, calm or or not like telegraphing enough, like you mm-hmm. you need to feel tension here. That that oh that means like oh I really need to feel tension because it means things are going to just take a take a terrible U turn any moment. Um, and yeah, this is not a film that cares to cater to those um, those kinds of expectations. And thank goodness it doesn't. Um, but but, you know, that's not to say I mean, certainly by the toward the end of the film, as Jacob's um, sort of ambition is really driving this wedge in his marriage and in the family, it is. You know, I mean, it, it is devastating in its own way. Like there, mm-hmm. we see Jacob in a in a scene near the toward the end of the film. You know, he and Monica are having this kind of like state of the relationship, state of the family conversation. And he says, you know, first he says like of his kid because Monica wants him to, you know, to to like maybe we can move back to California. We can pay off our debts easily there, and you know. um, but that would mean, of course, Jacob having to 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 give up the farm. And he says, on one hand, um, that his ki- his kids quote they need to see me succeed at something for once. But then, almost like a mo- just a moment later, he says, um, even if I fail, I have to finish what I started. And it's like that is to me. I mean, it's obviously it's quintessentially, um, you know, uh, true to the to 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 the to this family's experience, but also like in a larger sense, that is the patriarchal story of the failure of so many men, right. Who, who cannot like, who feel this pressure to, uh, to be the, 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 the breadwinner, the, the success on their own terms, all of these things, you know, even if that ambition sort of breaks the very thing that, 
for which they are, you know, they, they believe they are, they are striving. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I that's mean, the real, I, yeah, that's the real tragedy of the patriarchy. You know, it's hard to call something yeah. a tragedy that causes so much pain and suffering, but, um, there's a legacy to that expectation. I mean, I've never yes. once in my life felt successful, never once, nothing. Mm-hmm. And I keep climbing and I keep finding new peaks and it's like, okay, I'm going to feel successful if I, if I, if I get a book published, I'm going to feel successful if I do this, if I, you know, get an article in the New York Times, if I do this, if I do this, and every single peak, every single peak, whether it's in business, whether it's in writing and create it, everything, nothing has changed that. Nothing has filled that gap, that, that expectation gap. I mean, I, I think the most devastating thing that you can tell a child is that they have potential. It is the most mm. vicious thing that you can tell someone, and uh-huh. um, and, and and you know, there's I, I didn't go to my high school graduation because my parents said everybody graduates high school, especially in this country. We'll celebrate when you get your doctorate. I'm still waiting. Mm. You know what I mean? And and yeah. and it's like I I realized at some point somebody asked me. They're like, you know, there's one person that you could you know show this to or whatever. Who would it be? I'm like, my dad. He died about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and I'm like, there's. Nothing that fills this hole, and and, and you know therapy and, and medication and self medication and, and self loathing and suicide attempts, all of this stuff, you know, nothing has addressed it. Nothing has addressed the space in me, and that's what's planted here in, in this idea, Carol, that you're talking about about achievement, about finally getting to the top of that mountain. There's no top of that freaking mountain. Right. There's no top. You know, there yeah. there's only more exactly. more shelves and peaks and valleys and there there's no end to this and then you know what you hope is that you come to the end of your life and you don't look back with a lot of regret and and you know all i got right now is regret so i got about 25 years left and i'm going to do my best to uh you know try to try try to address some of that stuff um but man i, mean, I, I love i yeah. love john de florette I, I love its sequel to uh Man, man Me on too. Spring. Yeah. But I was like, I was expecting that sort of, you know, like large antagonist figure. Totally. And the, the, the villain of this piece, if anything, is yes, you know, like it's white supremacy. It's, you know, the patriarchy. Capitalism. The way, the capitalism, the way that this film, without like, you know, underlining it, without putting things in bold flashing light, but the way that this film indicts everything about capitalism. Mm-hmm is absolutely outstanding when you have Jacob unable to lift his arms and has to ask Monica to help him undress mm-hmm. because he's been working so hard at chicken sexing, you know, for how many hours a day, you know, how many days a week. And then, you know, in all of his off hours trying to grow this, these fruits and vegetables, you know, mm-hmm. the toll that it takes on your body to be among the working classes. Oh, you know, um, one, 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 one of my jobs when I was a when I was a green writer uh, was was I was loading packages at UPS because they had a good health plan. And my, you know, we were, we were trying to have a kid, and after the you know first couple nights of, of loading tons of packages, you know, all night, I had to throw up my arm in the air and I said, "Hey, can you roll me over?" I, I, I yeah. couldn't roll over on my own. My, my wife yeah. had to pull me to roll over. And you know, I've been in every level of corporate America. I I, I sort I stopped you know as a vice president of operations for a corporation, and it's diseased. It's mm-hmm. yeah. It's a moral atrocity. Capitalism. Every level mm-hmm. above entry level in any industry job is meant to uh, uh, design further ways, more creative ways to exploit entry level so positions. True. That's it. That's it. 
There's no end goal to capitalism except what we're seeing now, the creation of trillionaires and the creation of a lot of dead people feeding the trillionaires. Yeah. That's it. it it's that's- smog from Lord of the Rings, you know, <laughs> except every, everybody else in the valley getting burned up by smog thinks that they're going to be smog one day. That's perverse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's perverse. That's why Minari is a better anti-capitalist film than Nomadland. Thanks for listening, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And if you'd like to talk to Carol more. Yeah. Oh, the internet loves it when I say I think Nomadland is a failure as an anti-capitalist film. Um, I think it's poverty porn. Can I just throw that out there? I'm going to take some of the heat from you, Carol. I, I, I think it's just poverty tourism. and. The fact that, you know, Frances McDormand, whom I adore, was giving tours yeah. of the van that she used in it uh, online is gross. And the fact that the way that they're they're promoting that film by sending, like, food I packages know. to critics and stuff. Um, yeah, it's gross. It's <laughs> so gross. are you saying that you will not attend my double feature of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri <laughs> and Nomadland? Is that what y'all are saying to me that I shouldn't even invite you? You know what? Okay. If you're throwing a party, I'm coming. (laughs) Well, uh, that is going to have to do it there for our conversation about Minari. Um, We will be right back to share some freakouts. Hey, friends. Thanks for listening to FFR. If you enjoy our weekly conversations about the intersection of feminism and pop culture, consider hopping over to patreon.com slash femfreak and joining our podcast community. You can get access to exclusive bonus episodes, join our friendly Discord server, participate in polls to help decide topics for future episodes, and more. Plus, you'll be helping us keep bringing FFR to the virtual podcast airwaves. Visit patreon.com slash femfreak today. What's now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Walter, what are you freaking out about these days? I am really excited and ambivalent at the same time about <laughs> um, stuff like Raya and and Boogie, mm. the, the the Eddie Wong uh, 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 flick, and you know uh, Minari, of course, and Driveways uh-huh. from this last year as well. The, the great Andrew <sighs> on film, beautiful film, really great. You know, yeah. I'm freaking out because Asian Americans for the longest time have been sort of quiet and on the sideline of this stuff. And concurrent with our, our increased visibility in our in in this culture is a rise in Asian American hate crimes. You know, people um, mm. you know put, pushing down our elders and stuff and killing them oh, uh, yes. on the streets. Uh, and that's I I think the price that we pay for being more visible. And if that violence, you know, which is of course unconscionable and you know just try and push down a lady of 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 any age in front of me i will have words but um but you know i I think if that's the price of entry for asian americans to enter into this fight with 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 african americans and native americans and mexican americans and arab americans in particular uh, you know palestinians if this is our if if this is the pain ritual that we must go through as a culture to enter into this fight with you I'm there for it, and I'm sorry it took us so long to get here. And I'm I'm glad, so glad for Raya. I'm so glad for films like that, which you know people are, are like laying into it because they're saying it's so simple. It's like you know, children follow plot. You guys, there's something very beautiful about a movie right now talking about trust and the difficulty of trusting people who've just hurt you and continue mm-hmm. to hurt you. And the only way through, I think, is through finding that trust. It isn't like an easy thing. It, it's 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 you know, radical trust is faith. 
It's having faith in other people. I don't know. I can't. I can't confess that I have it. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm too bitter. I'm too broken up. But. But having a message like that for for a generation that still believes. Yeah. Yeah. And having all 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 South Asian cast. Yeah. Yes. Are, are you kidding me? So I'm freaked out that we're having this conversation that I get to come on with you, Carol, and you, Ebony, and talk about Minari. That's amazing. That's amazing. Mm. And that's something that arguably wouldn't even happen five years ago, not the least for which we wouldn't have been, had a movie like this. Right. Um, yeah. um, in the popular conversation. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of pain when, whenever there's change. And I, I think that Asian American community is feeling that. My, my parents, all the way through, Walter, be quiet. Walter, don't vote. Walter, don't get involved. You know, we come from a place of genocides. We come from a place where, you know, they'll they'll get lists. They'll put you on whatever. And for me, at this point, I'm like, nope, it's time to fight. I, I am tired of being quiet. I'm more American than I am Chinese. And the American part of me, it doesn't look kindly upon, you know, being told what to do. So um, that's what I'm freaking out about. Walter's setting shit off on this episode of Feminist Frequency Radio. Y'all weren't ready. <laughs> the people were not ready. Oh, man, absolutely. I'm stoked to see, Raya, um, your, your, it's another, you know, review of yours that, you know, I, I read that and I'm like, okay, I, I have to see this film. Like, that, you know, it's not necessarily a film that I was like, you know, it was like necessarily something I felt uh, needed to, to check out. But, uh, but your review definitely convinced me that, um, that it is, that is something I, I need to see. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, well, you can submit your own freakout at feministfrequency.com slash freakout. That's F-R-E-Q-O-U-T. Thank you so much for listening to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the last episode of this season. So we'll be off for the next few weeks, but we shall return on April 7th. So on that day at dawn, look to the east. Our show is... God damn it. Our show is engineered by Rob Perra. Carrie Stimson provides technical support. Artwork is by Jamie Varon. And our intro music is by Phil Circus. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Thanks, people. Bye, everybody. <laughs>